know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation episode 191. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, and today I have Tina Dixon with me. She is a survivor advocate and entrepreneur whose mission is really to engage and empower women who are harmed through human trafficking and or domestic violence. So after 30 years of exploitation and addiction, Tina achieved her freedom in March 2013 after completing a one-year trauma program. So with determination, creativity, and tireless work ethic, Tina was able to open Dixon Digital Marketing in 2016. That same year, she became involved in the human trafficking movement and served as a housing liaison for Empower 225 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I don't think we've had anybody from Louisiana yet, so this is our first. So tasked with securing housing for newly freed women, Tina discovered her passion and her natural ability to work with survivors as they process their experience and discover a better life. So Tina went on to create an organization called Queens. I love it. Uh, I love the name. People who are supporting one another as they navigate the world of business uh, through the female perspective. So um, Tina is going to talk a little bit about her experience, hopefully, her organization, Queens, and Tina is also uh, recently an award winner. So we're going to touch on that as well. So welcome, Tina. I'm so glad that you could make the time to be here. Thank you so much. It's definitely an honor to be here. Yeah. So Louisiana is in the house. So can you can you tell us, Tina, how... Um, you got involved in your organization. I think before that, I guess, tell us about your trafficking experience. And then I want to ask you some questions, you know, how you evolved from there to be successful and to be able to give back like you're doing. Uh, sure, sure. Um, I actually um, entered the trafficking, entered trafficking at about 14 years old. My mother, my father was in an outlaw motorcycle club. My mother was a psychic. I it was a very dysfunctional home. Mm. Um, I was being abused and I ran away from home and I went to New Orleans. And um, of course, somebody was able to get me an ID. I was kind of well developed for a 14 year old and I started dancing on Bourbon Street. And and I met this guy that was in the Dixie Mafia. Um, and during that time, this was the late 70s, um, there were brothels all throughout the state of Louisiana in like the deep swamp areas. 
the Dixie Mafia ran that state, Mississippi and a few others, and they called them lockup joints. Mm. And so this man brought me to one of these lockup joints um, where I stayed for about three years and he would and we were we were there. It was just like it was a brothel. And when people came in, we lined up, they picked one. And um, and it was very, very traumatic. There were um, I, I was kind of hard headed in those days. And so my trafficker was called often to correct me. And often they correct me in front of all the other girls. And um, it was just a really traumatic time for me. And um, and then I went on from that. I, once we got out of the brothels, he brought me into his bar. Um, where he caught me one night doing drugs with a client and he beat me unconscious and left me in an alley for dead. You know, let me back up a little bit. So I, I did not, I am not aware of Dixie Mafia. Um, so I'm assuming that this is a criminal enterprise that ha- that operates around Louisiana area. Yes, ma'am. It's a, it's a criminal operation that operates in, in the Southern states. Actually, there was a movie about a sheriff who got rid of some of them called Walking Tall back in the day. Oh, I'm familiar with that movie. This lockup or what did you what did you call it? They called it a lockup joint. It's kind of interesting when and and it's what the title of my book is, is when you got ready to go to work because you go home for 10 days and then they bring you home for a couple of days and take you shopping and party and all of that. And then they bring you back and they'd say, come on, let's go to the country. And these locations were secure in very small towns throughout Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Generally, they had a bar in the front. They had a back room, poker room. And then they had little rooms in the back where the girls worked out of. Okay. I had never heard of that. And um, do those things, do you, do you suspect that some of those things exist still today? Um, I suspect maybe uh, in a few of the remote areas in Louisiana, there may be something like that still in existence. I know the trafficking team here works closely in those areas, and they recently opened up a program in a rural area. So I don't have the tea, so to speak, but I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like since it's it's all about the money. It seems like that would still exist in some form or fashion. So you were 14, you got caught up in this situation. And then how long were you a victim of this type of sex trafficking or exploitation? Well, I actually was in the life, as they call it, for um, about 30 years, for a really long time. Um from that time, I was able to escape this man, um, and I and I went to Dallas, Texas, and and I met my first trafficker that worked girls on the street, and I got into what they call street game, um, and I became addicted to crack cocaine, and so as a result, I, I kind of you know went from trafficker to trafficker, thinking in my sick traumatized mind that maybe one of these one of these men were going to help me overcome my drug addiction mm-hmm. but what happened was nothing like that and um 
I, I stayed until until literally in 1992, I, I got pregnant while I was out working and I got away from that for a little while. And then I had the baby. My sister ended up adopting the young man and, and he actually works in, in trafficking now. He's a great he's a great kid and we've reunited and um, I'm really, really proud of him right now. Um, and then. I, as I tried to get myself together, I really had not overcame all the trauma that, I mean, I had been beat, unmerciful, locked locked away. A lot of things really happened to me traumatic in those situations. And so I attempted to get married. That didn't work. I left my husband and went back to my, to my trafficker. Um, I, I would try, you know, I started learning marketing. I learned graphic design. I went to work um, for a Cajun chef down here in Louisiana and my husband passed away. When my husband passed away, I went to it back into life and I really just bounced back and forth in the life from the square world, as we call it, to back in the life because I really hadn't addressed the demons that were inside of me. Yeah. It wasn't really until I was 50 years old that those demons were addressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, this is this type of exploitation of sex trafficking from 14 on seems very familiar to me. This is what I know most about. And in, in, in people are still looking for that caricature, that cartoon version of some kid gets snatched into a white van as, you know, whatever it is they believe. But the exploitation, the manipulation, the vulnerability, the needing someone to help you who exploited you from 14 years old in Louisiana in the in those back areas to then somebody who exploited you after you ran from there on on the streets and street prostitution and the trauma leading to uh, the use of drugs or alcohol. And if you're not taking care of that trauma, addressing that trauma, it keep it starts to resurface in various aspects of your life. And this seems to be a lot of the common progression um, of what we see in the U.S., as sex trafficking. So how did you um, get to a point where you wanted to get either drugs and alcohol treatment or you wanted to get out of the game? Well, you know, uh, I, I had drug and alcohol treatment many times. Um, I actually went to 17 drug rehabs. And and each time that I went to drug rehab, um it was always taught the 12 steps and, and do this, you know, like you got to go to meetings, you got to do this, you got to like work your steps. We'll worry about the psychological stuff later. You need to address your addiction first. And, and, and that was not what I needed. I needed somebody to address my trauma before I could even look at my addiction problems. Hey, I want to break into this episode for a moment. I want to remind you that survivors of sex trafficking experience trauma as a result. 
Trauma-informed care is something we learn so that we don't re-traumatize victims. However, trauma-informed care will not lower someone's trauma. We have survivors that need to heal inside. Most quality direct service workers connect survivors to needed services like healthcare, housing, legal services, and more. But these services, while necessary, won't address the internal trauma. Even when we connect them to trauma treatment counselors, they spend about an hour a week addressing traumas that have taken over their entire lives. They need so much more. Connecting someone to needed housing won't fix the brokenness inside. Arresting their trafficker allows them justice, but it won't heal the internal pain. Linking them to a lawyer won't take them to a place of reclaiming their freedom and experiencing genuine joy. Walking alongside survivors to provide support, nurturing, love, kindness, and to build relationship is critical. But they also need the tools to regain the power, choice, and voice internally. Healing the internal pain requires survivors to do the internal work. I've worked with and studied the issue for almost 30 years. I recently wrote a book outlining the 12 journeys that survivors need to go on to heal the trauma and to live the life they truly wanna live. I'd love to train you to be a group facilitator leading survivors toward the internal healing they need. The training is the TNT Survivors Journey Group. Let me train you to facilitate these important groups and put survivors on their path to living the life they want and experience the freedom and joy they deserve. To learn more, go to my website, celiawilliamson.com and watch the free webinar to learn more about the course. I look forward to training you and helping you help survivors to heal. And now on with the podcast. And so it began the cycle of going back and forth. And and I see women my age that had the same experience. I I do hear some, some, they are addressing trauma now in treatment centers, but not all of them. There's still a lot of 12, 12 step based um, treatment centers. And, and look, I, I always honor the 12 steps in the program because it helped me get on my feet. It gave me the community I needed. But but let's face it, those sponsors and, and other people in those organizations, they are not professionals and they are not equipped to deal with trauma. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because and 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 the program that you went to that actually focused on trauma. I mean, that's even so rare because but people are talking about trauma-informed care. That just means I'm informed that you have trauma. That doesn't translate into I'm helping you heal your trauma just because I know you have trauma. <laughs> so this is where we are. At least people, some people can use the words. Trauma, but they, exactly. Yeah, they have yet to know what they mean and develop some type of program. So when you spend a year completing your trauma program, what tell us what that what that was about? Well, um, and I actually at at the age of about 45, um, I my my trafficker had actually sent me to school to learn digital marketing so that we could put our the girls on the web. 
And I was at a porn convention and I, I met this beautiful person, Annie LaBear. And she had she is a she had a program called Destiny House. And I met her at the porn convention. So few fast forward about another year, I was just miserable. I could not stay. I had all this opportunity because I had all this knowledge and this this professional ability, but I couldn't function in a professional environment. And in walks Annie and um, not only was I spiritually renewed, I also began EMDR. EMDR changed my life. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it, describe that because there is a lot of research. And just let me for one second say that, you know, I want to revisit trauma-informed care that just tells you, I know you have trauma. Right. I haven't done anything I just didn't re-harm you, didn't re-trigger you. But in order to heal, EMDR has had some great results in terms of research. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Tell us a little bit about EMDR. What what is it? And actually, what did you do? So EMDR um, is built up around specific trauma points. So it starts with a lot of talking therapy and the therapist identifies certain traumatic events that happen during the course of your life. And then you reprocess those. And so in the first time that I had EMDR, they used because I could not Typically, they EMDRs use eye movement. It means eye movement, the sense of the synthesization, sorry, bad pronunciation. Yeah, reprocessing, yeah. <laughs> reprocessing, bad pronunciation. Yeah. Um, I, I joke around sometimes. I say that just because I'm a redneck. <laughs> That's okay. I love, I love this uh, accent, but go ahead. But so they used um, vibration. And so we had, I had these little pods that were like vibration pods. And I put, I alternate them from between in my hands or under my thigh. And they, I would begin to talk about it, and the vibration would change um, intensity at different points. And then we, what, what happens is that they ask you to recognize what your body is feeling. And so as your body is feeling more even based on different vibration, which is different today, I still do EMDR. I'm, I'm on my second round of EMDR. When I got successful, I had a bunch of things come up um, that I wasn't equipped to deal with. And we could talk about that later. But now I do EMDR with um, eye movement. And you you actually pinpoint the direction that you're looking at. And you go by the cues in your body on how your body feels. So maybe looking to the left, the feeling may be real, real intense. And then maybe when you get to the right, the feeling might might die down some. So they work on the body and the brain. It's really fantastic, fascinating science, but it works. It's it's literally changed my life. And so when you're either using the vibration or the the rapid eye movement, um are you thinking about uh, like a traumatizing experience at that time or what are you asked to think about? Yeah, you think about the traumatizing experience and and they basically bring you to the highest level of that traumatizing experience and then use the eye movement to bring you down. So in the future, when you think about that, 
this the feelings are more level and they're not you're not experiencing these highs and these lows but you're experiencing a more level vibrational area that your body and your brain can deal with more appropriately and so is there ever a time when you when you recall this memory and your stress or emotion or body's reaction is high that uh, and you can bring yourself down yeah. Okay. Yes, I'm, I was actually taught, and I remember this back in those days, I was in Las Vegas, I had graduated from the program, and I was in a sober living house and driving around, and I drive around Las Vegas, and I'd see things that would trigger me, and so what I would do is I would hit my knee on the inside of the car door in rhythm, and it would bring me down, and it would keep me basically, because I would I would go in these areas, because I thought I was curious about what was going on. And it basically kept me clean, kept me from using drugs at that on that occasion. Um, nowadays, I actually there's a YouTube video with the with the ball moving back and forth, and I do EMDR on myself all the time when I get overstressed and and so get, you use you use the tool that you were taught uh, for your own self care. I think yes. yeah, I think that's awesome. And for you, it was you had to address the trauma first, then the, the uh, substance use issue. And, and Exactly. And I, and I addressed the trauma initially inside of a environment where I was very highly supervised, where I stayed for a year at Destiny House. And I moved on to sober living and continued EMDR as I was out in the world, which was particularly healthy for me. Um, it was a lot, it was help, it was helpful to be able to have those world day-to-day triggers come up and be able to handle them myself and learn self-care and learn how to take care of myself. I mean, I think that's so much rooted in there is, you know, regaining your power, choice, and voice because you knew, even though they were saying, oh no, you got to take care of uh, substance uh, use issue first. You knew yourself and you knew your body and you knew what you needed. And I think that level of empowerment is really amazing and being being intuitive enough uh, in yourself to say, this is the route I need to take. So you and Tina, you are also, before we talk about the Queen's, I want to mention that you're an award winner. So do you want to tell the listeners uh, so, how did you win this award? Well, you know, I've been in digital marketing for quite some time, um, almost almost 20 years, basically between relapses for many, many years. But I affectionately later in my career became known as Mama T. And I st- when I started the Queen's, I started this organization, Queens, to empower women. And and in order to explain the award, award, I have to kind of explain the concept of Queens. And so the concept of Queens for me is that internet marketing, affiliate marketing, performance marketing, it's a male-dominated field. And I would repeatedly watch, and most of the networking is done in a trade show environment. So every time I would go to a trade show, I'd see a lot of the pretty girls would be hired for the trade show booth and they would hire girls fresh out of college. And she was basically being used as clickbait. 
And then once the customer came to the booth, the, the guys would quickly jump up and the young lady would rarely get part of the, you know, a little bit of the deal. She would not get compensated the, the same way that the male counterpart was compensated. And so the reason of, for creating Queens is that I wanted to empower these women and I wanted to give them a safe place to network. So we started doing um, trade show events where we'd have private meeting rooms or and we'd also have cocktail parties where the women could get together, Facebook groups, Skype groups where women could network with each other. And, and this was considered um, a humanitarian um, effort in the affiliate marketing, performance marketing arena. And so it was awarded the Appy because of humanitarian uh, the humanitarian contributions. Yeah, I love that. I love, like I said, I love the the name Queens. I love that you are supportive of women who use their beauty as part of their work. And there are so many professions where this takes place, right? So, um, but you empower them to be able to take control, to be able to be adequately compensated, to be able to reclaim their power in terms of their profession and what they do. So how long have you operated Queens? Um, Queens started in 2021. Um, I opened my own internet marketing agency in 2020 with a business partner right in the middle of COVID. And okay. yeah. I like that. Okay. <laughs> right in the middle of COVID. Um, but, and it's definitely been, been a journey, but um, I had the idea for Queens. I, I do a lot of travel and I, particularly flight booking, which is a vertical in our industry. And so one day this guy called me the queen of flight booking. And that was just a joke for a little while. I was the queen of flight booking. And then he saw me at a conference and he said, there's the queen of paper call. Well, paper call is the type of advertising that we do. And I really I thought to myself and I'm like, I'm not the only queen here. There's lots of queens here. And, and the idea just kept brewing and kept brewing. And we launched our first event at the Las Vegas Affiliate Summit. And we chartered my company, Ring Lab Media, um, hosted an event on the high roller wheel. And so we had all the women come and, and join on the high roller. There's, there's actually pictures on our website of all the events where we get together and network with one another. But that was our first event. And, and it's just moved rapidly since then. It's really grown quickly. That's so cool. And with your digital company, do you... Do you still take on clients um, just that in, in general? Do you just do you no, still operate? It, it's more, it's not really, it's more specifically to performance marketing and lead generation. So our company acts as basically a broker. So we have media buyers and, and um, advertiser, media buyers on one side, advertisers on the other side. And so I take the, the results of these media buyers and I sell them to call centers in different um, industries like insurance, um, home improvement, home services, internet TV, and flight booking and travel, hotel bookings, just a lot of different um, industries. Oh, that's 
that's and you said you got started because the trafficker wanted you to learn how to better his business but exactly. actually you took this and you spend it and it actually benefited became a pretty good career for you exactly exactly and that's why i'm so driven to help other women that I, to do that as well so tina tell me you know a lot of listeners they they're advocates they want to do the right thing they want to do the best thing that they can possibly do um, to fight against human trafficking. I mean, do you have any advice for them in general or any advice for women? You know, sometimes we are a little more hesitant to jump out there and start our own businesses and, and shine. I think you have to know your worth, number one. If you don't, if you don't understand the true value of yourself as a woman, then it's really hard to to make yourself bigger because that's what it takes. It takes making yourself bigger than all of the other forces around you. Um, it starts with, and, and so, you know, now I have this new initiative that we just started with Queens and I had a local digital marketing training academy that, tra- that trains media buyers um, to offer me five scholarships for digital for human trafficking survivors to go through the program. And what we've done is we've matched these survivors with mentors, these professional women in our organization with these human trafficking survivors as they go through um, this digital marketing training and hopefully become entrepreneurs as a result of this. Um, and for survivors, this offers them the opportunity to be remote. It's when working with girls and working with women in human trafficking, it's really important to notice what triggers them. So you have a woman and you've sent her to school and she's went to college and she's got this fantastic job and she just can't make it. She keeps going from job to job. I did the same thing. I could not handle corporate life. It, I could not handle somebody telling me what to do. People would be ugly like they always are. And I would get triggered and then I would blow up and then I would walk out. And, and it was this cycle. And it wasn't until I really embraced in 2017, I went completely remote long before um, COVID. The other thing that I tell survivors that are coming on is that to use those transferable skills Mm -hmm. we had natural survival skills out there we knew what to say when to say it how to say it to achieve the desired result well you can take those very same skills and bring them into the professional world and be very successful because we know you know when we were out there we fought hard and hustled hard to make sure that we got what it took to keep, to really avoid a beating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we, we, we built this natural drive and this natural hustle. And so use that to your ability in order to achieve your dreams. And, you know, I, I, I heard this, I heard the um, podcast that you did with Polaris and, the survivors, the survivor study, um, I think it was called um, 
in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and in that survivor study, they talked about this place where survivors are are rescued, they're emotionally stabilized, and it's they often programs and facilities often fall short on propelling a woman to a place where she can succeed, which is the whole goal of what I'm doing with Queens and the Queens Arise Digital Scholarship Program. I love that. That is empowering. Um, That is using someone's strengths. You know, some people can say, why did I go through this? What, what, how you, how can this be useful? Well, it, it probably made someone very empathetic Um, But those skills, uh, being able to read someone because your life could depend on it, being able to assess them, being able to understand your environment and how to stay safe. All of those things are, you know, what you talked about being transferable. So I thank you so much for recognizing that survivors need to become thrivers. They need to become economically um, successful. They need to, you know, address their trauma. These are things that many people don't talk about. They want to raise awareness. They want to, you know, they want to to rescue, which is awesome. And they want to raise awareness, but most, but, but it's so important to bring the survivor to a point where she can live comfortably, where she can have financial security, where she can take care of her family in a safe environment. So what better of safe environment than within in your home? And, and a lot of women, they go back to trafficking because they cannot support themselves. They end up in a minimum wage job. I caught working at Walgreens and you just can't make it that way. And so they start thinking about, you know, maybe if I just did this one little deal and and then as soon as they get out there, of course, the traffickers are out there waiting for them and they're and they're re-exploited over and over again. And I feel like, you know, I've done well for my life at 58 years old. I bought my first house. Um, I recently and and this is and I like I brag about this, but the significant of it is I just bought my first luxury car. I bought a Lexus and, and it's in my name. It's not in some trafficker's name that he lets me drive. Ooh, I love it. I just it's in love my it. name. Right. And thank you. Welcome to the club. I have Lexus too. First one ever in my life as well. Yes. And I think you, you deserve it, queen. So thank you, queen, uh, Tina. And thank you for making those women take their crown that's been laying over there on the ground and you're telling them in all kinds of ways, put that crown on your head and wear it well. So thank you so much, Tina, for your time and thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. That was Tina Dixon. Please look her up. She is amazing and doing amazing work. And if you need her professional services, please use survivors, use thrivers, use their companies, use their business, spend your money in places that make your money speak for you. Queen Tina, 
I love it. So I looked up the definition of queen. It says a female ruler of an independent state. An independent state. She is operating as a free, independent agent. It also says a queen, according to the game of chess, is the most powerful piece on the table. Why? Because the queen is able to move in any direction unobstructed. So I wish you nothing but success, Queen Tina, and all the queens that work with you. Until next time, the fight continues. Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.